Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday evening chapel. Repeat after me. Every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. One more time. Every tongue confess Jesus, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, we'll, we'll get it together one of these times. Hear the word of the Lord from Hebrews 11. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded distance, disgrace, excuse me, regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. My wife and I were in the caves in Antioch where they were first called Christians. Smoke on the ceilings. I'll always remember that in that cave we sang the universal language, and it echoed off the walls of that cave, as it no doubt did after the Lord had gone and left his disciples to gather in a place like that. And you know, wherever we gather, it is in the name of the Lord, and it is in his presence that we come this evening. Lord Jesus, truly we do sing hallelujah to you, praise to your name. For the way you have touched our life is a great mystery to us, and yet we know that you have touched us with your grace and your glory. We are not the same because you have turned us in a new direction, and you have spoken to our hearts the words of joy, salvation, and we are so thankful to be blessed by your touch. As we come together this evening, Lord, it is to praise your name, to hear your word, and to be lifted and touched by the Master himself. So, Lord Jesus, we're looking for your touch, and we are people who come to be obedient because we want to always be obedient to your word. And so speak to us, Lord, this evening, and may we say yes to your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. It is indeed an honor this evening for me to introduce to you our speaker, Reverend Stuart McWhorter. He started out as an 18-year-old and he was given the assignment to pastor three churches uh, and a circuit in Alabama where he grew up. And soon uh, after he uh, found out that pastoring was a tough job, he decided he'd be an evangelist. And so 47 years, he's been a full-time evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene. And we've all been blessed by his ministry. I, I'm really having him this year under duress because he told me that two years ago when he was here, that if I did not have him back, he was going to burn my house down. And so, uh, so I'm trying to protect my home by having him here tonight. And I hope it works. However, uh, one of our fine churches in Oskaloosa, Iowa, burned down a week ago. And his wife tells me he didn't have anything to do with it. So, <laughs> but, uh, Brother McWhorter is uh, one of those kind of preachers that you remember. I, I mentioned two years ago how that I remember a, a message he gave in Fort Worth at the evangelist gathering there. And uh, it's not every preacher that we remember what they said. 
Sunday morning he preached here at First Church. I wish all of you could have been there because he gave a message on hell, which is a tough subject. But the thing is, he did it in a positive way. And uh, I, because he came down to the fact that we have the opportunity to say yes. And I'll not forget that message. And so uh, I want to expose you as students to good preachers. The way to become a great preacher is to listen to good preachers. And I encourage you to do that. And so you have the opportunity this evening to hear a great preacher and uh, give you a chance to model some of your ministry after one of the great Southern preachers, Reverend Stuart McWhorter. Welcome to Nazarene Bible College. Thank you, Dr. Sanders, and congratulations to you and to all the faculty and the students for your new level of accredit accreditation. It's such an exciting time to be with you. And now will you come with me to ancient Egypt in the time of Moses. Egypt in the time of Moses was grand, resplendent, magnificent, opulent. I grew up in a little southern town where nobody said opulent and I grew up with an inferiority complex and I now have an obsessive need to say words like opulent. <laughs> Egypt in Moses' day was far more advanced than many moderns realize. Their architecture, their engineering, their sciences, their chemistry, their literacy. Years ago, liberals said Moses, when the scripture said Moses wrote of Christ, they said they couldn't have done that. But now we know that in Moses' day, Egypt had hieroglyphics, which of course Moses must have surely known. They had some knowledge of uh, cuneiform, for it was the language of international correspondence. And no doubt Moses was exposed to uh, some degree of alphabetic writing. So their literacy, their architecture, their engineering was far more advanced than many realize. And Egypt was the granary of the ancient world. And with the exception of ancient China, uh, civilization consisted almost entirely of the countries surrounding the Mediterranean Sea Roman Empire had not come along. Central and Northern Europe was barbaric wasteland. North and South America had never been discovered. And this was the civilized world around the Mediterranean. And Egypt was the most advanced, the most enlightened, the most sophisticated, the most powerful, the most wealthy place in all the world. I have had the great privilege of two journeys to Egypt. I've been in the Valley of the Kings, I've been down into the tomb of Ramesses II, possibly the pharaoh of the Exodus, and the tomb of King Tutankhamun, Tun -tun 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 King Tut. <laughs> and I have, seen, I have seen tombs and temples and pyramids that were old before Abraham left Chaldea. I have seen pyramids at Giza and Sagara that were old before Abraham left Chaldea. And the bases of those largest pyramids at Giza are closer 
to being perfectly square than the foundation of any skyscraper in Denver in the time of Moses far advanced and Moses grew up from infancy to manhood in the palace of Egypt we listen to and read the scriptures that Alan read to us and we hear it so lightly and we read it so quickly and we so easily miss what it's saying Moses grew up in the palace of the Pharaoh of Egypt and Acts chapter 7 verse 22 tells us he was educated in all the wisdom of Egypt it's not far-fetched to say that he received the equivalent of that day of a PhD from Oxford or a DPhil they call it don't they from Oxford or a PhD from Harvard and the devil paid the tuition brought up in that palace it is not at all far-fetched it is very possible that Moses was in the lineage the line of succession and ascension to the very throne of Egypt the most powerful throne in all of the civilized world and having been brought up thus he if he was not in line to the very for the very throne of Egypt he surely was in line for a position of great power and prestige in the Egyptian power structure and he refused the throne of Egypt or a position very near to that throne he said no to the throne of Egypt back in the 1930s no I don't remember the 1930s no I'm not that old I was not president Pilot Point in 1908. I don't remember things in the 30s. I just read about it and hear about it. But back in the 30s, the young king of England announced that he was abdicating the throne of the British Empire for the love of an American woman. And as shocking and sensational as the announcement was, many could understand how he came to make that choice but Moses rejected the throne or a position to the throne of Egypt the most powerful throne in all the world not for the love of a woman not for greater wealth or fame or power or prestige but to eventually cast his self, himself with a band of bedraggled downtrodden bereft enslaved impoverished unpromising people call the Israelites on the banks of the Nile making brick for Pharaoh and nothing about them nothing visible suggested that anything great or important would ever happen to them or become of them and everything visible everything visible everything tangible overwhelmingly suggested that the future belonged to Egypt 
And if you wanted security, you had better trust in Egypt's armaments and armies. And if you wanted wealth, you had better invest in Egypt's gold. And if you wanted position, you had better play Egypt's politics. For the next 10,000 years belonged to Egypt and nothing great would ever become of that band of slaves. But Moses said no to Egypt and possibly the throne of Egypt. And by all the standards of an ungodly world today, Moses would be considered nuts. Now that word nuts is a very deep Greek word. <laughs> spelled K-N-U-T-Z. And translated as follows. Thou hast lost thine marbles. How did he come to make such a choice? He came to make such a choice because he saw him who is invisible. Now what that means in the Hebrew is that he saw. What that means in the Aramaic is that he saw. Forget it. <laughs> he saw clear through. I said he saw clear through. Somebody say amen. amen. He saw clear through. He saw clear through the pomp and the power and the pageantry and the palaces of Egypt. He saw above the throne of the Pharaoh. He saw above the throne of the Pharaoh a throne more exalted a throne more enduring, a throne more righteous, a throne more just, a throne more powerful. He saw above the throne of the Pharaohs, no less than Isaiah, who in the year that King Uzziah died, saw above the throne of his fallen hero, the throne of the Lord high and lifted up. So by faith Moses had a vision of the throne of God. He saw above it all that that one thing is certain, one thing is impregnable, one thing is unshakable, one thing is absolute, and that is that above it all, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And I want to tell you something, bless my soul. I want to tell you something tonight. It is the moment of moments. It is the most formative, decisive, powerful, far-reaching, destiny-laden moment for any man or woman, any boy or girl, any time or place, any age or century, when with eyes of faith you see clear through the sham, the veneer, the facade, the transience, the corruption, the allure, the glitter of this world. 
for Egypt is a metaphor for an ungodly world at any time. When you see clear through, Christians should not quit thinking. <clears throat> Phillips Brooks, <clears throat> the great preacher in Boston more than a century ago, used to exhort his congregation to bring their brains to church. And that wouldn't overload most of us. Christians should not quit thinking. Christians should not quit asking questions. But hear me. If you get the deep, clear, settled, gripping, undergirding, sustaining, supporting confidence and assurance that God is still on the throne. If your soul gets imbued and infused and filled and gripped by the awareness of the sovereignty of God. If you come up against a question you cannot find the answer to and if you have to, you can put it on the shelf. You can put every impenetrable doubt you can put every question mark, you can put it all on the shelf, and you can make it through if you have the assurance that God is still on the throne. Hallelujah. Over here with a tattered, battered, beleaguered band of slaves. Over here was the splendor, the glory, the majesty, the grandeur of Egypt. But the strange thing is that when God got ready to launch his program through these battered, tattered slaves, they did not have to go down to the courts of the Pharaoh and look up the Secretary of Defense for Egypt and get the assurance of a band of Pharaoh's best battalion of soldiers to guard them on their way. For you, if you have a God, I said, if you have a God, I said, if you have a God, I grew up in the South where the black church is strong, and that's where I got most of my homiletics, and I have to preach now and then with a rhythm. If you have a God, who can go before you by day as a cloud. Come on, come on, I feel it coming on. If you have a God who can go before you by day as a cloud and by night as a pillar of fire, you cannot, you cannot increase your safety. He didn't have to go down, Moses didn't have to go down to the Egyptian secretary of the treasury and float alone to finance the program. Hello? Somebody say amen. I don't think it's required that you say amen. I don't think God requires it. It's just part of my background. I want you to do it for my sake. 
He didn't have to float alone from Pharaoh to finance the program. When you have a God, when you have a God who will give you sandals, I mean shoes, that will not, Deuteronomy says he did it. When you have a God who gives you shoes that will not wear out from 40 years of preaching, of, of, of walking in the desert, you don't need a loan from Pharaoh to finance the program. And not only that, Deuteronomy tells us that their feet did not even swell from marching in those sandals that God gave them for 40 years. Dr. Scholes, <laughs> eat your heart out. <laughs> when you have a God, when you have a God who will give you fresh bread from the ovens of glory every morning for 40 years, somebody called it the original wonder bread. <laughs> <laughs> When you have a God like that, you don't have to float alone from Pharaoh to finance the program. Ah, my soul. Moses went with that crowd. And long, long, you know, Moses had, went with that crowd and long, 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 long record stuck. <laughs> long years after they left Egypt, what were they and Moses doing? Was Moses living in a bigger palace? Was Moses enjoying greater material wealth? Was Moses enjoying greater fame? No. He was out in the desert with a very disgusting bunch of people. He went over to the phone, called Tulsa. <laughs> said, this is not working out. Forget it. No. Long, long years after he'd left Egypt, he was out in the desert going in circles, just going in circles. Moses was the pastor of Wilderness Westside. <laughs> he was out in the desert just going in circles with a band of whining, whimsical, whimpering, ornery, obstinate, obnoxious, peevish, petulant, pusillanimous. Yes, it is a word. Pusillanimous people. Any similarity between churches living or dead is purely coincidental. <laughs> Moses was an amazingly patient man. He stayed with that pastorate. The Holy Spirit leads us according to our personalities. If I had been contemporary with the event and chosen to lead that bunch, I want to tell you, I wouldn't have been as patient as Moses. 
I'd have been so disgusted with that crowd, I'd have closed that meeting on Friday night. I'd have been so disgusted with that crowd, I wouldn't have even waited for the offering. And I ain't never been that disgusted. But Moses, but Moses had some pastoral resources that we don't have today. If there were troublemakers in the congregation, the Lord would just bring an earthquake, open up the earth, swallow them whole, come back together and not even leave any sign they'd been there. But you can't do that anymore. <laughs> Those were the good old days. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. He stayed with them. Don't you know there were days in the desert when the devil came to Moses. I can imagine it. There were days when the devil came to Moses and something like this and said, Moses, you could have been a big man in Egypt. You could have, had a, you could have been on the throne or near to the throne in the power structure. You could have had a marvelous life of luxury and power and pleasure and when you died, you'd have had a big state funeral and that would buried you beneath one of the biggest, tallest pyramids. And the devil, no doubt, said, Moses, you've missed it. You're a failure. And the devil said, the howling winds and the blowing sands will bleach your bones and bury you in the oblivion of this desert forever and the howling sands howling winds and the blowing sands will blot you out forever but I can imagine Moses saying and I cannot prove he said it and you cannot prove that he did not say it <laughs> and if you don't have an imagination I can't help you. I can imagine Moses saying to the devil, Satan, what you don't know is that one day this unpromising, unlikely, disgusting band of people will give the world uh, an Isaiah with his enrapturing eloquence. Satan, what you don't realize is that one day this band of slaves will give the world a Jeremiah with his tears. What you don't realize is, Satan, that one day this band of slaves will give the world a sweet singer named David.
Satan, what you don't realize is that one day this disgusting, disgruntled, disheveled crowd will give the world a flaming missionary named Paul. Satan, what you don't realize is that one day from this band of slaves, descendants, will go for, what you don't realize is that one day this band of slaves will give the world a book right off the desert press. <laughs> what you don't realize is that one day this band of slaves will give the world a book called the Bible. And what you don't realize Satan is, for Satan is not omniscient. Whew. Ain't that good. What you don't realize Satan is, that one of these days, through these slaves and their descendants, will go forth the grandest announcement in all of human history. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. And what you don't realize Satan has been that's been going on all along with me and these people, these slaves, is that we're just getting ready for Christmas. God willing, I'll finish this sermon tomorrow night. But I might not finish it till Easter. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 Stand and sing it. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. In his hand, the whole world in his hand. One more. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 Amen. And now may the love of God, the grace of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and ever. Amen. Amen. As we say in the hills, meetings out. <laughs>